A note from Robert P. Rabbit, 2. I grew up in the Appalachian Mountains of North Georgia. We were a very close family of 26 boys, one girl, and my mother and father, and being close was especially important at mealtimes, when it was every rabbit for himself, except for mother and Roberta. We were taught very early on to respect the ladies, so we made certain that they always had first choice of the lettuce, carrots, cabbage, and other good things at every meal. And they had a special place in our den to eat together. If they needed something, we took turns getting it for them, because we always wanted them to be happy. It was an honor to be the one to serve them, and when we did, we always got a big rabbit kiss. I'm trying my best to teach Will how to properly treat Mom and Katie and Ariel, Katie's big sister, and I think I'm making some progress. Yesterday, I actually saw him get up from the breakfast table to go get Katie her orange juice. Who knows? He may grow up to be a gentleman someday after all. Chapter 2. The Stage is Set Robert P. Rabbit was up early the next morning, although not as early as usual. It was 6.30 a.m. when he hopped out of Katie's bed and made his way down to the kitchen and out the doggy door to the side porch. He always started his day this way when they were in Tallulah Falls, for several good reasons. First, he had to make certain Katie's dog Cha-Cha and her black-and-white cat Oreo continued to know their place in the pecking order. And that was Robert P. Rabbit first and all other animals second or below, and Robert P. Rabbit didn't care where each one of them fell in the order, as long as they all knew he was first. He found Cha-Cha lying in the driveway at the foot of the steps, looking like she thought she was supposed to be doing something, but couldn't remember what that something was. So when Robert P. Rabbit hopped all the way from the top step to the driveway in one giant leap, landing firmly on Cha-Cha's back, the dog jumped to her feet in pure fright and began running in circles looking for whatever it was that was threatening her. Robert P. Rabbit, having already jumped into the large flower pot beside the stairs, calmly watched Cha-Cha from amongst the petunias. After Cha-Cha's third circle around the area, chasing she knew not what, Cha-Cha came back to the porch and noticed Robert P. Rabbit for the first time. She gave two sharp yelps, as if to say, It's okay, Robert P. Rabbit. It's clear of danger now. You can come out from your hiding place in the flower pot. Robert P. Rabbit just rolled his pink eye and his blue eye and proceeded across the driveway to Mom's garden. Cha-Cha simply laid back down in her place, proud of herself for once again prevailing over some imminent danger. The second reason Robert P. Rabbit liked to come out early in the morning was because of Mom's garden. Mom had done a lot of research into how to grow the best organic vegetables and herbs to feed her family, and especially Katie, because she discovered that many of the things she could grow would help Katie fight cancer and would strengthen her immune system. Because of that, she was growing a rabbit food heaven just a stone's throw from the house. There were radishes, carrots, lettuce, cabbages, beans, strawberries, kale, turnips, asparagus, and lots more. But the very best, which Robert P. Rabbit thought might just be for him, were the rutabagas, his favorite food in the whole wide world. They usually ripen in the fall, but Mom had a hothouse, so she could plant them in March and they would be ready in June. Mom had to worry about deer, foxes, and normal rabbits eating her crops, so she had a mesh fence surrounding the entire garden. But the fence was no match for Robert P. Rabbit, 
He had learned to hop from the wheelbarrow onto the children's swing in just such a way as to start the swing in motion. Then he pumped his legs just like he had seen the children do, and when the swing was high enough, he was able to let go, fly through the air, and land on the top of the post at the corner of the garden. From there, it was an easy hop down into the garden itself, where he ate his fill. Getting out was much easier because the braces for the fence were on the inside, so he could easily hop up the braces to the top of the post and hop down to the ground. The third reason Robert P. Rabbit liked to go out early was to make sure Oreo was doing his job keeping the mice, chipmunks, and squirrels out of Mom's garden. Since he didn't see any signs of those little creatures, he assumed that Oreo had been effective on his watch. But just to be sure, he hopped over to where Oreo liked to spend his time, in the shade of the cherry tree, and on one of the roots that stuck out of the ground. Robert P. Rabbit assumed that the roots stayed cooler in the hot weather than the surrounding grass, but with a cat, you can never be quite certain they really are that smart. They like to prance around looking for all the world like they know more than everyone else. But then they prove that they aren't the brightest by walking right into a lawn sprinkler. Or they back off the porch only to fall five feet to the ground. Once, when Oreo decided a nice place to sleep would be on Cha-Cha's back, he was rudely awakened when Cha-Cha leapt up to chase a squirrel that had wandered too close to the house for its own good. Oreo had another task that Robert P. Rabbit put him up to and that was to help Robert P. Rabbit practice his talent to calm down animals. He would walk up to Oreo, stare at Oreo with his blue eye closed and his pink eye intently glaring at Oreo, and twitch his nose slightly and wave his ears. He liked to practice on Oreo because the cat seemed to resist more than normal animals. Of course, Robert P. Rabbit always came out on top. When Robert P. Rabbit came back into the house that morning, he found that Katie was already eating her breakfast and excitedly telling Will and Mom all that she and Robert P. Rabbit had seen the night before. Mom, she said, we need to go over to the cottage right away and make sure Grandad is okay. Not until you have eaten your breakfast and taken your medicine, said Mom. But maybe he's hurt. I don't think so, said Mom. He or Polly would have called or come over. Now drink your milk and eat your banana. So Katie hurried through the rest of her meal and finally pushed her wheelchair away from the table and announced, Okay, I'm done, and so is Will, so we want to go to the cottage right now. Okay, but remember, said Mom, you need to pull the string first. The string had become a very important part of our daily life in Tallulah Falls. Polly and I didn't live at the cottage all of the time. Our regular home is in Atlanta, Georgia, 100 miles south of Tallulah Falls, but since Katie has gotten sick, we seem to be spending about half our time in each place. Our regular home is in Atlanta, Georgia, 100 miles south of Tallulah Falls, but since Katie has gotten sick, we seem to be spending about half of our time in each place. When we are at the cottage, Wendy's kids used to just come over whenever they wanted to, simply walking in our kitchen door without knocking, which was actually okay with me, but Polly said we should teach them to give us some warning first. So, we devised a system where I mounted a bell just inside the window over our kitchen sink. Then I ran a string from the bell through a hole in our window frame and then through a hole in Wendy's window frame, which I tied to a hook in Wendy's kitchen. Then, whenever the kids wanted to let us know that they were coming, they could pull the string and it would ring the bell in our kitchen. 
That gave Polly and me time to change out of our pajamas into regular clothes. That morning, as Polly and I were having our coffee in the cottage, we heard the bell ring. They're on the way over, Polly, I said. Okay, I'll put some blueberry muffins in the oven to heat up. When the grandkids came barging through the door, they were almost out of breath. Grandad, shouted Katie, are you okay? Who were those mean-looking men? Who was the man in the wheelchair? What did they want? And why did they come so late at night and in such a bad storm? Wait a minute, I said. Calm down. I'm just fine. No one hurt me, and I'll tell you all about it as soon as I get another cup of coffee. Now, pull up to the table, and Polly will get you some muffins and milk. And Robert P. Rabbit, you can get in the high chair right over there, I said. With that, Polly gave me that look again, as if to say, Why on earth are you talking to that rabbit? Remember, Polly doesn't have the special mark, so she can't hear Robert P. Rabbit. I love these times when I can prove to her that he understands what I say, and so maybe I really can hear him. Anyway, as soon as I spoke, Robert P. Rabbit jumped up into the high chair, and I gave Polly a sly smile, as if to say, Take that, smarty. She just rolled her eyes and went back to getting the muffins and milk onto the table. The old man thinks I have the key to a very important mystery, but I'm not sure I do, I said. But before I tell you our dilemma and what I think needs to be done, I need to tell you a story about my old friend, Larry Burkett. Before any of you were born, including you, Robert P. Rabbit, no country had really explored outer space. So the President of the United States, John F. Kennedy, made a speech to the entire country and announced that before the year 1970, America would put a man on the moon and bring him back to Earth safely. So the government formed NASA to get the job done. What's NASA? asked Katie. It stands for the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, I answered. Anyway, they started out by creating rockets that could lift a man into orbit around the Earth and bring him down after he had circled the Earth. What's an orbit? asked Will. It's when someone or something goes up so high into the sky that the force of gravity doesn't pull it right back down to Earth, but rather lets it go all the way around the Earth in a circle, or in an orbit, as they call it. That's like the satellites that are going around the Earth right now, isn't it? asked Katie. That's correct, Katie. The satellites that send down our TV signals and that produce the GPS systems that give us directions in the car are all in orbit around the Earth, I said. So how did a man get out of an orbit and all the way to the moon? asked Katie. And what did he find on the moon when he got there? You're getting ahead of me, I said. To get the spaceship out of orbit and away from the Earth's atmosphere, NASA had to build stronger and stronger rockets, which is what they did. Well, did your friend Larry Burkett go to the moon? asked Will. No, but he helped the others get there. Larry Burkett was a master electrician, and he was a part of the group of scientists who created and monitored all of the systems that made travel to the moon possible. His job was to be in a special room that was set up to continually read all of the vital signs of the men in the rockets, their heartbeat, their temperature, their breathing, and so forth. Just like they do for me in the hospital, said Katie. That's right, I said. And it meant that Larry Burkett came to know personally all of the men who went into space during the Moon Project, which, by the way, they called the Apollo Project. 
So even after we had rockets big enough to reach the moon and men who were walking on the moon, Larry Burkett could tell what their temperature was and if they had a cold or the flu, asked Katie. Well, yes to the temperature, but I doubt he could tell if they had a cold or the flu. But what he could record was very important to the Apollo project, as what they found out from Larry helped them better plan for the next group of men to be sent up to the moon, I said. Now wait a minute, said Robert P. Rabbit, about this moon thing. Are you trying to tell me that men have actually walked on the moon? Yes, of course, I answered. How can that be when the moon is so small? It doesn't look much bigger than a watermelon or a big pumpkin, said Robert P. Rabbit. I guess that's a fair question, I said. Let me see if I can explain it. Do you remember when we flew to Denver in the airplane? Yes, he said. And do you remember how, when you looked out the airplane window at the buildings on the ground, they looked so small and the cars and trucks looked like ants? That was because they were so far away from where we were up in the airplane. But when you get up close to those things, they are really quite big. Well, the moon is just like that. It is actually almost a fourth the size of the whole earth. It's just so far away that it looks small. But what does all this have to do with the men who were here last night? asked Katie. Well, here's where it gets interesting, I said. After you hear this, you will have to decide for yourselves if you want to take an important journey. Okay, they all said at once. Let's hear it. But before you start, can I have another rutabaga? Robert P. Rabbit asked. I'll get it, said Katie, as she knew Polly couldn't hear Robert P. Rabbit's question. We need to take a long trip. We will be looking for a clue at the village of a Native American tribe in the western United States that very few people know about. It's a little dangerous getting there, and there are others who will want what we find if we find it, I said. I want you all to go with Polly and me, but not unless you are willing to go into a place not too many people have ever been to. But why are we going on this trip? asked Katie. I'll get to that part of the story in a minute, I said. Do you think this is wise? asked Polly, taking these children on such a long trip. It might be a little over their heads, but we'll see after they hear the story. It seems to me that they could be a big help, I said. Why do you think that? asked Polly. Because if we travel as a family, we will look just like normal people on a vacation. With kids along, no one will suspect we are on a special mission, and Katie and Will can ask lots of questions without anyone taking special notice. If it's just you and me, asking so many questions will look suspicious. Polly agreed. That does make sense. We want to go, Katie and Will shouted together before Katie added, but we're dying to know the rest of the story. So I told them the story of what we were looking for and how it might change the world. 